The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. So good to be with you this week. I am really excited about the book that we're going to be talking about and the guests that I have on for a couple of different reasons. As many of you know, I'm embarking on a tour around the country. I'm really wanting to challenge a lot of belief systems about money and about how we think we have to behave and what we have to achieve and whether life works on our behalf or not. So, of course, being someone that believes that we have conversations from the universe, that we have conversations, in fact, with the universe, like the title of my own book, I was thrilled to get Life's Operating Manual because it so speaks to many of these questions and I want to dive very deeply into some of these things that uh, some of us are starting to feel internally that just don't resonate in the world anymore, that we are now in a different place and, and wanting to see life operate in a different way than what we have been shown as it to be. Tom is the acclaimed Hollywood director of Bruce Almighty, Liar Liar, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Nutty Professor, and Patch Adams. After suffering a near-fatal biking accident that left him with a severe post-concussion syndrome, Tom reevaluated his life and shed most of his material possessions. Can you imagine the creator of, of some of these amazing movies giving away much of his money? opening a homeless shelter, and moving into a trailer park. There are not many Hollywood millionaires that would choose to live in a trailer, at least not that far from the film set. Even fewer choose to embark on a mission to carry the message that wealth doesn't bring happiness to the masses. That might sound simplistic. It might sound idealistic. For some, they might say it's flat-out corny. But if you look around, you might see that things aren't going particularly well, and perhaps it is time for a new direction. In Life's Operating Manual, Tom Sodiak offers the ideas and historic context for showing readers that there is a better route to happiness. He's living proof of this effectiveness, and this is an, an opportunity for us to explore some of those deeper conversations in regard to money, motivation, ambition, and so much more. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Tom Sodiak to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. There are quite a few questions that I have, um, and, and I want to start off first, just since many people know of those movies that you have been so much a part of, if I look at many of them, they are about the journey. They are about the journey of life, and, and they, in a sense, kind of poke fun at some of these many points that you even have within life's operating manual. Do you think that 
the course of your life taking you through some of these things and through comedy is part of what has helped you to uh, come to some of these realizations along with your own spiritual seeking. Well, yes, of course, they're, they're, um, they're steps on the journey. You know, when you look at the films I've done, even when I wasn't aware uh, that something was a hold of me, like even back to the days of Ace Ventura, uh, that was just an ode to joy, which is, you know, laughter is a beautiful, sacred tradition amongst uh, we, we humans and, and, and in culture. But even when I wasn't aware, uh, um, when I wasn't awake to our impact on the environment and the respect that I was learning to have for animals in the natural world, it was alive in, in, in my work um, and the work that was working through me. And all of that work, of course, they, they are stepping stones. They're little parables, if you will, uh, that have led to a documentary I did called I Am, which is about my own story, and then Life's Operating Manual, which, as you say, dives deeper into these issues and into this better world, which is literally sitting right in front of us. And, and I do want to mention to my listeners that if you have not seen the documentary, I Am, it is wonderful, and I urge you to definitely take a look at that. That experience uh, came through after a near-death experience that you had, and was this before or after you decided to uh, give away some of the money and, and open the homeless shelter and move into a trailer park? Yeah, well, I had been changing my life for a long time before I almost died, uh, uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I had began an earnest quest to seek whatever was true. And I began to shed and um, become aware of certain hypocrisies in my life. And one of them was the way I did economy in my life, how much I was taking, you know, as the accepted model, which is to take all that you can to set yourself up as the highest, most important whether it's in a creative endeavor or whether you're a doctor or a lawyer, you take as much as you can. And I saw that as being outside of the way life works. I also wanted to share more. I wanted to become more of that change that Gandhi talks about. And I realized that if I wanted a more egalitarian, a more equal world, that I had to become that equality myself. It's, it's funny. We all decry the gap between the rich and the poor, but many of us are the gap between the rich and the poor. So I simply wanted to do what I could to level that out. So that had been going on for years. Um, and then I did it quietly, and I didn't talk about it that much except with an inner circle. I didn't have the courage, if you will, to make a film about it, to, to uh, you know, walk in the public light with that, uh, with that journey. And when I almost died, when I got in this bike accident, it was very clear that this is what I needed to do. I needed to make a film. I needed to share my story, uh, offer it to others to see if it resonated with them. And then that led to the book, uh, Life's Operating Manual. Wonderful. You know, it, it seems like there's a, such a strong dichotomy. We try to attain so much with the premise that it's going to take us to freedom but I know I have very much had a sense, especially in the last few years, that all those things that we try to attain for the sake of freedom actually tend to imprison us. They actually limit us, or then we start to feel tied down. Can you speak a little bit to that? Because I think you go through some of that in the book. Well, you say that very well. You know, the very things, it's not that uh, we own stuff, it's that our stuff owns us. And, and everything comes with energy, and when you amass so much, that comes with an energy. And that energy always wants to flow. So you find if you have a lot of money that people come at you and say, hey, can I have, can I borrow? You find yourself investing in whether it's real estate or, 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 or I'd never invested in the stock market, but others do. 
all that's energy. How do you manage? How do you maintain? You find your staff has to have staff. And, and it, for many of us, it's not really an authentic life. There's three keys I'm, you know, I, I've been taught to the spiritual life, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. And it, of course, is in opposition to that idea. And I found for myself that the more I shared, the more I gave away, the, the more I simplified, the wealthier I actually felt. I, I spell it wealth, W-E-L-L-T-H, because a different kind of wealth comes when you engage in the lives of others, when you engage in the healing of the natural world, and when you reflect how nature operates, which is to simply take what you need to be all that you wish to be, all that you are authentically, but whatever else comes is everyone's. It's, 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 it's this energy that, again, flows back and then reanimates you and re-energizes you. Well, and I think also just in my own life I have seen how I have let go of so much stuff, and, and that seems to be a very prominent theme right now. I mean, even the systems in our world are almost forcing us to have to let go. People, Some people are losing homes and other people are having issues with jobs, and, and we want to look at that as a bad thing, but sometimes that letting go actually moves us from servitude towards the path of service. Did you find yourself in a place of servitude that helped you to go in the direction of service, or was this kind of an inherent knowing that just kept building? Well, yes, very much so. To look at it really simply and practically, uh, the life I had built didn't really work for me in terms of, of giving me a sense of meaning and fulfillment. The art that I was able to express and, and share with the world, that was wonderful. You know, the freedom to work with great talents like Jim Carrey, Eddie Murphy, Robin Williams, Steve Carell, etc. That was fabulous and to tell stories. But all the amassing of the wealth never felt right. It felt very disconnecting. You know, the first thing we do when we have wealth is we buy a bigger house, which pushes our neighbors out. We put walls and fences up, which again separates us out. And all that had an effect on me. It, it was isolating. Uh, it, it pulled me away from the things that make the human species really robust in terms of happiness, and that's family, community, connection, relationships. And so as I tried that model, you know, I did what society taught me to do. I always ask a very simple question, how's that working out for you? And it just, it simply didn't, it didn't pay and in, in the truest sense. And so then the more I, again, engaged in, in the sharing, the service with others, be, you know, having served wealth, I then began to serve others and to use that wealth to serve others. And that brought that, that feeling, that, that expansion in the chest, the vagus nerve firing, you know, if you want to get down to the physiology of it, um, altruism, um, you know, literally lighting up our cellular structure. And, and that, the more I continue to dive into that, um, the more joy I feel in my life, and so I simply follow what works. My guest today is Tom Shadyak, and Life's Operating Manual is his new New York Times best-selling book. It answers a simple yet provocative question. Is it possible that life comes with a similar set of guidelines, that we actually do have a manual, once reserved for exploration by poets, prophets, and philosophers, Shadyak, the man behind such comic hits as Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, brings a new voice to the mix. 
inviting us into a conversation that is both challenging and empowering. He looks at the workings of nature and the ideals of the longest-lasting civilization on Earth in a series of essays and dialogues between the voices of truth and fear. And through this examination, he opens our eyes to one underlying principle that should guide the human race, love. This single principle is, in essence, our operating manual, and its instructions are very simple. The question he then sets out to answer is, do we have the courage to live in accordance with this precept, to step away from how society currently works and the ills we experience because of it? Do we have the fortitude to change and cast aside the ideas that have led to war, poverty, genocide, and environmental destruction? With Tom's inspiring vision of what the world can be and his straightforward advice on how to move toward it, your answer to these questions will be a resounding yes. I urge you to get your own copy of Life's Operating Manual. With the Fear and Truth Dialogues, you can go to lifesoperatingmanual.com and find out uh, all about this book and see lots of other interviews and information and also about his foundation and speaking. So I definitely urge you to visit that. And while you're on this break, I urge you to contemplate the question, how's that working for you? We'll be right back with Tom Shaviak and Life's Operating Manual. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Before we get back to my wonderful guest and life's operating manual, I want to fill you in on a few things. The next 
edition of 1111 Magazine will be out next week, so definitely sign up for your free subscription. It is my gift to humanity, and it is always jam-packed with lots of amazing wisdom and wonderful voices from around the world. In addition, my own book, Conversations with the Universe, is now out and is getting amazing feedback. People are tapping into their conversations with the universe and starting to understand that we do have a dialogue that is constantly ongoing. Definitely get your copy of that and go to the website, conversationswiththeuniverse.com, where there are free videos, audios, and 30 days of tools that can support you in tapping into your conversation. And finally, uh, connect with me on the Rebel Road. You can find out about all the cities that I'm going to. It is four women, one man, two kids, 66 cities, and no excuses. I'm out to prove that life is wonderful, that it is supportive, and that when we really do follow our dreams and let go of all the excuses that we have, things can unfold for us and that we can really engage in the spirit of collaboration and connection to create the world that we desire. So definitely connect with me as this tour begins in August and goes through June of this next year. My guest today is Tom Shaviak, and he has written a wonderful book, Life's Operating Manual, which almost seems like the companion piece for my whole road tour that I get to carry along. So I'm looking forward to many of these truth and fear dialogues just constantly being talked about in my in my own spirit as I operate in my own way with many of the things that he's talking about. He's the creator of uh, the Hollywood director of many amazing films that I'm sure you're familiar with, Bruce Almighty, Liar Liar, Ace Ventura, and Pet Detective. And he is the creator of the documentary I Am, which is also a wonderful piece that I urge you to see if you have not. But now he has released, and it is a New York Times bestseller, Life's Operating Manual, and it really does get into the crux of perhaps how we need to change, what thoughts we need to really look at within ourselves to make those changes, and that it is okay to let go of some of the things that we have believed to be so important, like ambition, motivation, money, and all the material things that we have. Not that we have to, but that we can contemplate if that is the step that we need to take. Tom, it really feels like this book is coming from the two voices that are inside of each one of us. And I love, love, love how you have written this from the voice of fear and the voice of truth. And you talk about um, this coming from one of your favorite popular Native American myths about two wolves that live inside of each of us. Talk a little bit about that and, and how these voices came forward, how you differentiated what was fear and what was truth. Yeah, well, as I wrote the book, I didn't start out to write originally the fear and truth dialogues. Of course, I come from dialogue writing because I've been writing dialogue for over 20 years uh, with the films that I've done. But as I wrote these essays, they're very radical, as you know, and radical in the sense that the word radical means root. So I really wanted to get the root to the root of why these problems exist in the world, that it's actually quite simple. And as I would write these essays, a voice would appear inside me I could hear, and it's a voice I've heard before in Q&As after doing screenings of I Am, which told me that what I was saying was ridiculous, it was overly simplified, uh, it's not how life works, and it would make its argument. And uh, I began to answer that voice with what I would call, well, I think we all feel something that is a higher voice in each of us. It's a stronger voice. It's a, it's a voice that comes from a calmer place. And they began to have a conversation as I wrote, and I just began to listen to that. So after each essay, 
where someone might read an essay that I wrote about the economy, for example, about how this whole thing is made up, about how the law of supply and demand, it's not really a law, it's a choice. It's a way of, of, of walking a very shallow moral base into our world where we can take all that we can and, and we don't have to share when, things get, uh, uh, when resources get uh, scarce. We can just charge more money. That's based on really shallow morality. And as I, would, as I finished an essay like that, fear would begin to say that's just unrealistic. The system's already in place. This is how it works. There are things called free markets. And my truth gets to say, but wait a second, what is a market? Isn't a market whatever morals we subscribe that are behind the market? If there was a market for love and compassion, would that not be a market? If people were excited about sharing their talents and their gifts, would that not be a market? So I got to have this conversation that turned out to be really fun and a joy to write. And I hope it reflects, as you said, your own fear and your own truth. Because I do believe in a truth that exists, many paths to that truth. But I do believe that there is a truth out there. There is a guiding set of principles. I believe Gandhi believed that Jesus, Martin Luther King, and we can look at those principles uh, in nature and in the life around us to see what they're telling us and how they're telling us to behave. And in the book you write that truth is about releasing the hold and letting go of results. And I know that this time is so much about letting go. And as someone that has been in Hollywood and directed films, I'm sure that that persona that did all of that was the type that really had to be in control a lot yeah. of the time. So oh my talk goodness, about yes. the letting go to be able to tap into these truths and really have a person go inside in a way that they're really willing to hear some of, of what you're saying. So much of the way we've set up our world is based on fear of the unknown. And, and, and I'm a case in point. A director, what is a director after all, but someone who wants to direct and control the outcome of a story. And as I've gotten more confident as a director, I realize that something is actually directing me. And it's, it's the most important quality that I can have as a director is to listen. So quite often when I think I'm controlling the outcome of a story, that story is working its way through me. And the more I serve that story, the less I'm even aware of where that story is going. Characters begin to speak to you. And so much of that is true about life. You know, if we don't, if we, if we hang on to the riverbank, as I say in the book, you know, it creates a tension. We get very stiff and rigid. But if we let go, as every mystic, every saint and sage has urged us to do, just let go. Let go of your expectation. That doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean you don't do your best and your all, give everything your full effort. But it means that you let go of the results and you let whatever is to be, to be. I truly, with all my heart, believe in what I call God, the creative intelligence of the universe that knows what it's doing, that set this whole thing up, that put my spirit, set my spirit here and in motion. And I know that if I serve that, 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 that energy, that God will take care of those results. So it really is a freeing way to live. It is really freeing. But so many of our spiritual disciplines today say, I think they've become twisted to say that if you do the right thing, if you say the right chant, if you have the right positive thoughts, you can get what you want. You can get that thing. You can get that material possession. And it, it kind of betrays the ancient mystical wisdom of empty first, and then you can be full. But let it go. Let it go. And in the letting go is when things come. Mm. 
that I love the part um, where you talk about Mary Oliver and how her ten words spoke to you so, so clearly. I come from a culture where uh, ambition is very, very strong. And, and if you're Indian, you're a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer um, is, is, is how you're guided to be. And, and, and that really touched me when I read through that whole part about ambition because I think we have become a society, especially in the Western world, that pushes ourselves so much. In her words, the world is broken, Tom. You know that, don't you? Talk about how that really impacted you. Well, Mary, Mary is uh, Mary was a friend of mine before she was a friend of mine. She's actually a friend of mine now, but uh, she was such an influence on me through her work. She's the best-selling poet in America, and she is, for me, as close to a modern-day mystic, like a modern-day Ralph Waldo Emerson, as as we have. And her words had spoken to me for so long. I finally had this wonderful opportunity to speak with her. I share that story in the book, but she said to me before we hung up, the world is broken, Tom. You know that, don't you? And I knew it, and I think many people listening to your show know it as well, that something isn't quite working. That question, how's it working out for you? Something's not quite working. We see this continued growing gap between the rich and the poor. We talk about the middle class so much and how it's dissolving, but we very rarely talk about those who are in poverty, who won't be able to feed their families. Or there are people who will die in this country, far too many people in the most um, advanced country technologically in the world that can't get an operation, and, and something isn't working. Mary's poetry spoke to me about that, and it has a lot to do with ambition, and it's the word that you just talked about. And... Mary's poetry speaks really clearly about ambition. She questions ambition. She has a line in her poetry, um, What will ambition do for me? That the fox appearing suddenly at the top of the hill, whose eyes are sharp and confident as they look into mine, has not already done. And here she's saying that the fox has no ambition. The fox is a fox, and it's content to be a fox. And... I don't think Mary would say ambition doesn't have its place, but she would ask the question, what are you ambitious for? If you are ambitious, like the fox, to be yourself, the fox wants to be the fox. We want to be our full selves. If we're creative and storytellers, we want to be the best storytellers we can. But what for? Is it to share that art with the world, or is it to get yourself uh, held up as a king, as a god, as a celebrity with red carpets and a lot of uh, material wealth? Or is it so that you can be a part of the human conversation, that you can share stories of, 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 of engagement uh, that, that provoke uh, a conversation, that uplift? So it, it, Mary's poetry, like all great mystics, turned things upside down. And I turned this idea through her influence of ambition upside down. So I no longer attach myself to society's ambition. Uh, I have little interest in how much a movie makes. I have every bit of interest when I make a film in what it's saying and, and, and how excellent is its art and what is the idea that it's, it's, it's putting forth in the human conversation. I so connect to that. I, I constantly say to people that we are experienced experiencing ourselves, and if we can just stay as experienced, then all of a sudden we're so present to what we are here as that we let go of all of the expectations and the results and all of those kinds of things. 
that, that's scary, and that's so wise what you're saying. And for most people, that's scary. And this is where fear comes in. The first thing fear would say to what you said is, yeah, but I've got to make a living. And so immediately, I've got to make money so I can't follow my heart. I've got to feed myself. I've got to feed my family so I can't follow my heart. And absolutely, we want and need food and, and, and shelter and medicine and those things. But when we really look at that fear and we say, well, wait a second. Is it possible, though, that I might take a step into my heart? What is it that I'm really afraid of? Uh, who will, will I really starve? I have a brother, maybe, while I go back to school. Would he let me sleep on his couch or in a room uh, while I'm walking into my heart? And I think when we examine fear, fear is really an illusion. When fear is true, it's not fear, it's truth. If I run out into the freeway and I'm afraid that I'll get hit by a car, that's true. That's not really fear. Right, But when we look at fear and we face it and we step into it, it begins to dissipate and go away. And that's what I think the journey is for most people. Walk into the fear that says you can't walk into your heart. My guest today is Tom Shadyak. He is the film director behind such blockbuster hits as Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Nutty Professor, Liar Liar, Patch Adams, and Bruce Almighty. Just about everything today comes with an operating manual from your computer to your car, from your cell phone to your iPad. Is it possible that life comes with an operating manual as well? That's the simple but powerful premise of Tom's inspiring and provocative best-selling first book. Written as a series of essays and dialogues, we are invited into a conversation that is both challenging and empowering. The question now is, can we discern what is written inside this operating manual and garner the courage to live in accordance with its precepts? You can find out more about Tom and this wonderful book, Life's Operating Manual with the Fear and Truth Dialogues, by going to his website, lifesoperatingmanual.com. You can find out uh, more about the book there as well as other resources, his foundation and his blog. Again, that's lifesoperatingmanual.com. We'll be right back with Tom Shedyak. This is the Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening.
listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. I am speaking today with Tom Shadiak on his new book, Life's Operating Manual, with the Fear and Truth Dialogues. And I'd love to just read a couple of lines just so you get an idea of what this is about. Um, Fear says, our society is known for its freedom. Truth replies, almost one in four of our children goes to bed hungry. Are they free? Fifty percent of our college students have contemplated suicide. Are they free? We leave our parents to die in nursing homes. Are they free? Fear replies, there are problems in every society. It is not a matter of freedom. Truth says, when a child believes he must win to be worthy, when young adults define themselves by what they do and not who they are, it is a kind of slavery. A slave master would envy. Fear replies, and what is wrong with winning? What is wrong with identifying yourself by what you do? People are what they do. And truth says, and when they are doing nothing... What are they? They are people who feel like nothing. The kingdom of heaven resides within them, and they are distraught over a pause in their paycheck. Fear says, there is nothing wrong with taking pride in what you do and being able to make it on your own. Truth replies, ah, yes, rugged independence, an idea that conquered the West but did not conquer what needs to be conquered. Fear replies, what? I need to be conquered? I'm good for people. I keep them focused on what is ahead, on their future. And truth says, which the prophets have duly warned against. It's just, it's just um, incredible how you go back and forth with that dialogue, Tom. And it, it's so much what I think if we let ourselves sit still and contemplate, we would hear those very conversations. It's almost as if the angel would be on one side and the devil on the other uh, arguing those points. But we might even hear that call within ourselves to to really dive deeper into the truth that we are rather than the fear. Yeah. It just, you know, it takes the most important virtue. Uh, Maya Angelou has said this many times. The most important virtue you would think would be love, of course. Love is the deepest, richest virtue. But she says the most important is courage. The age of the heart is how that translates courage. Because without courage... You can't practice any other virtue. And it takes courage to ask these questions. You know, there's a saying uh, uh, about it's hard to get someone to understand your point when their income depends on them not understanding it. It takes courage to let all that go. And whenever these voices of fear come up, which say, well, that's just how it is. That's just the way it is. It takes courage to say, well, wait a second. Maybe it doesn't have to be. And it's really fun for me to write this dialogue because fear examined is so easily uh, disassembled. It just kind of dissolves when you look at it. And I've had so many of these conversations with people, and they'll eventually say, well, we'll talk about it later, because <laughs> they're, they're kind of out. Like, when you really look and examine and have the courage to ask the question, just ask the question and, and face it. Uh, you find new roads that open that can lead to new life for you. And it's just, it's really amazing and surprising and beautiful to explore. Well, and I think that that's, 
I think that you brought up earlier one of the biggest fears and questions that people have, and that has to do with money. I mean, that seems to be what most people are controlled by, and you have the experience of having had a tremendous amount, a huge 17,000-square-foot compound, and then deciding to move to a 1,000, 1,500-square-foot double-wide trailer. So how can you share with us um, why we cannot serve two masters? We cannot well, serve both God and money. We have to choose. Yeah, well, look, let's not, um, let's not um, uh, you know, dismiss how difficult it is for people who are struggling with resources. I completely empathize, and this is why I want to birth a new way of doing economy in my life so that others are, are fed and others are clothed and, and have money for an education. But what we've done is we've trained ourselves that more money means more happiness, means more life. And where money does make you happy, money is simply a representation of energy. That all, that's all it is. So, so uh, uh, it's just a go-between between a service, if you will. And so where it makes us happier is when we are homeless, when we are cold and we need warmth, when we are sick and we need medicine, and, and when we are hungry and we need food, money absolutely will make us happier. But there is a, a limit to that. And that limit is somewhere around, they've studied this, around $50,000. Um, but above that, it not only doesn't make you happier, it can inhibit and, and complicate your happiness. And the problem is for those of us who don't have money, even the idea that we want more, we want to be like the rich person, that furthers the energy in the world that keeps things as they are. So that's mm. serving the master. That's making the God of your life to get there. It's what I call the Asunas tribe. As soon as I get that money, as soon as I get that, then I'll have made it. I'll be successful. I'll be happy. I can be, you know, who I am. And that is a false God. You have to serve the true God, which is, the God that resides in your own heart, that's where the kingdom of heaven is. You look for it here, you look for it there, is what Jesus said, but you find it not. You look for it there in money, you look for it there in stuff, but you find it not. For the kingdom of heaven is within you. And that's serving God, serving your passion, your talent, your, your, your whatever gift you have, your uniqueness, your authenticity, that's serving God. And you can't serve both. It's that simple. You know, a... a, 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 a a, a, uh, a sailor points toward what he calls true north. There aren't two true norths. There is only one true north. If he's pointing away from true north, even if it's one degree, he can be very lost in a very short time. And mm. I think that's why the mystics say you can't serve them both. Absolutely. And, and you also talk about a cultural story. And do you think that we must understand or at least acknowledge some of the beliefs of that cultural story so that we have a way to then shape life differently. Can you talk about the three tenets that, that make up that cultural story? Well, it essentially boils down. A cultural story is an overlay. It's a perspective. It's a story that a culture tells itself, and then it crafts all of its behavior around that story. Now, I didn't even know a cultural story existed. You know, uh, it was something that I woke up to when Morgan Freeman turned me on to a book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. And Daniel Quinn told me about this cultural story. He showed me a lot of evidence. And then when you think about it, wow, it's actually true. 
our cultural story is all about separation. It's all about competition and winning. It says that you're separate from everybody else, like Tom Shadiak has to take care of Tom Shadiak first. I've got to win. When I go to school, I've got to get the good grades. I've got to be the best. I've got to win in business. My films have to be the best films, make number one on all that stuff. And, 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 and competition, of course, and we're also separate from nature. That's a very essential element of this. That's why we can plunder nature. We are not nature. We are not dependent on nature. We are separate from it, and we can exploit the rainforest. We can exploit the oceans, et cetera. And, and, and then it's the over-elevation of competition, that we're a basically an aggressive and competitive species. That's in our DNA. That's the most basic fundamental idea is that we're, we're, uh, it's survival of the fittest, which is what Darwin said. And so that shapes who we are. That shapes how we educate. It shapes how we do economy. And you can plug that cultural paradigm in, and that mantra just exists everywhere. We tell our kids they've got to be the best in school, and you've got to win at the economic gain, and those who win are elevated. But that's not the only cultural story that ever existed. That's actually a very recent cultural story that happened when we got the ability to store food. And for most of our species' history, 94% of it, there was a very different cultural story that led to a very different balance in the world and a very different harmony in terms of, at the very least, our relationship with nature. And it's what uh, Quinn calls, Daniel Quinn calls the indigenous story. And indigenous people knew that they were dependent on nature. They didn't have the ability to store food, to refrigerate. Uh, they didn't have the ability to grow crops. So they were utterly dependent on nature, dependent on the earth and her bounty. And they were dependent on each other to help yield that bounty. And so it was a very different story that developed then. That's why the prophets come along after agriculture and say, don't even store into barns. Don't even worry about tomorrow. It has enough cares of its own, right? And consider the birds of the air. They don't, they don't reap or sow or store into barns, and yet they're fed. And I'm not, this is not a, 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 a point of view against agriculture. It's just a perspective of what happened when agriculture came in. We began to store. We began to separate ourselves. We began to take as much as we could from nature and greed began to surface, and poverty began to surface, and we began to enslave one another because I could take you as a slave and then have you help me take more. And all that stuff is based on a poisoned ideology. And I think we're waking up to that. I just don't think people see it in terms of a cultural story. They don't understand that the entire Western world, it's not just America, of course, we're just the apex of that cultural story, but the whole Western world is telling this story it's a game. You've got to go out. You've got to beat your competitors. You've got to win. Then you'll be taken care of, and you can then, if you feel like it, you can then give something back. And it's not working. It's 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 creating. It's the it's the root ideology behind uh, just about every problem you see before us in the world today. Well, and when you think about that, especially if you expand that idea of of storing food and that kind of thing, it naturally would breed competition, which then breeds more separation, and naturally, I think we have always been and we are trying to move back towards living in cooperation rather than competition. If we, if we look at nature, if we look at, at even our physical bodies or, or different types of organisms, it's always in cooperation. We have created this uh, distinction and this separation and this fight between what's mine and what's yours. Very few people see it that way. Uh, you're, you're seeing something that a lot of people are not quite seeing yet. I was just on a television show, and a very intelligent host of the show uh, was shocked when he, when he heard and 
the idea that there was any cooperation in nature. I literally had to say, have you ever heard of a herd? And, and it kind of took him aback. And again, this is a very intelligent um, uh, talk show host. And it was because we're so trained that that's who we are in our nature. We're just in this war against each other. And it's not at all the story that biology tells, as you said, that nature tells. Nature's an incredible system of cooperation. And every time something rises up and takes more than it needs, it eventually dies. That, that is a cancer. We define cancer as something that eats without regard for its host. And we are doing that now, of course. We're eating without regard for our host, which is the earth, but we're also eating the energy of each other. A mental illness that the Native Americans called Wetika when, when they saw us come on, on, on the shores of America and, and they said, this is a disease. They just take and take and take and they're literally robbing the life of one another. And I think we're waking up to this though. That's the cool thing is that we are like, as a society, as individuals going, man, this, something's not working, you know, something's not working. And, and when you realize that something's not working, that's a wonderful moment because that means something else can be born that does work. And again, Life's Operating Manual was written because if you look all around us, you can see what does work. You look at the oak tree, it is always taking what it needs, but only what it needs to be the mightiest oak it can be, but it is always giving back freely all of itself to the soil. Uh, it's giving uh, 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 oxygen to us to breathe and other animals to breathe that can, again, help the soil and the microorganisms feed it. So it's a cycle. I asked that talk show host the other day, when was the last time the sun charged you? When was the last time the sun said, well, you know, I could charge a very high price for this, this you know, the, 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 the photosynthetic process that gives life. So uh, what could I get for that? If the sun took our philosophy, we'd all be dead within about 20 minutes. And, and mm, I think my, we're going to wake guess, up to this. It's just yes. all right in front of us. Yes, absolutely. I was just in Machu Picchu, and those people call it Aini, one day for me, next day for you. Mm. If you're reading Life's Operating Manual, hoping to discover the 10 steps to fix your life, you're in for a disappointment. This book is not about 10 steps. It's about one, understanding the simple but significant principle that when truly embraced and embodied, changes everything. So beyond this radio show, you're just going to have to order your copy and read it so that you get all of the good stuff that's in here. You can find out more at lifesoperatingmanual.com or you can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere online and order your copy. I urge you to. Some wonderfully written dialogues that you will thoroughly enjoy. So tap into Tom Sadiak's book, Life's Operating Manual. Also, I would like to let you know that some of the past shows that have been on have been absolutely incredible. I've had on Timba Spirit. Linda Graham, Polly Campbell, and many more. So always go back and listen to the archives. There are some amazing voices with wonderful inspiration. Again, we'll be right back with Tom Shadiak and Life's Operating Manual. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 
People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. My guest today is Tom Shadiak, and we are discussing Life's Operating Manual. He explores a lot of amazing topics that really will have you probing your interior to see how you feel about these things, whether you buy into the conversations of fear or whether you are willing to side with what is truth. Uh, I want to read a short section from Wendell Berry that he has in the book, Life's Operating Manual, and it has to do with our genius, our artistic genius, and whether that is us or that comes through us. It's a poem. Nor do I believe artistic genius is the possession of any artist no one has made the art by which one makes the works. Each one who speaks, speaks as convocation. We live as councils of ghosts. It is not human genius that makes us human, but an old love, an old intelligence of the heart. We gather to us from the world, from the creatures, from the angels of inspiration, from the dead. Barry doesn't mince words regarding the poison that has infected commerce when he also writes, intellectual property names the deed by which the mind is bought and sold, the world enslaved. We who do not own ourselves, being free, own by theft what belongs to God, to living, to the living world and equally to us all. I really liked that poem and then the dialogue that you had afterward really brought it home. So how do we, in your eyes, move more towards this place of allowing genius to come through us and stepping into this place of cooperation and understanding that this isn't about utopia. This is really about reality. Wow. Well, man, I love Wendell Berry. (laughs) I was (laughs) entranced by that, and I, of course, know the poem. The first thing I, I believe is to see it. You know, the Buddha wasn't wise. He was simply awake. And it's, it's simply to see it. We're told that we own our art, and the higher the price we can get for it, the better we'll be held up as an important artist. And the Greeks didn't feel that way. You know, the, the Greeks, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, uh, articulates the view that the Greeks felt that they weren't geniuses. They were visited by a genius. 
So you might have a genius, and sometimes he would be there with you, he or she or it, and sometimes it wouldn't. And it wasn't up to you. It was just up to you to listen and serve that. Our society claims ownership of it. So I really believe it's seeing it. And people will say, yeah, but you work hard. I work. Nobody works harder, uh, I believe, in, in the arts than I do. I work very, very, very hard. Um, but it doesn't mean I own my art. It means that uh, I hope I'm a, a vessel and a good one, but something works through me, and that's all of ours, right? As Wendell says, we're, we're standing on the backs of ghosts. He says, he phrases it this way, we live as councils of ghosts, meaning that the voices that come through us that might be a great line of poetry or drama is literally standing on the backs of those who come before us and the energies that swirl around us. So I think we have to recognize that first. And then if you really recognize it and you believe it is true, then, of course, you would, you would lead your life according to that truth. And, again, it involves moving through fear because, boy, I could, I could, could have made a lot more money on the movie I'm doing right now, but I actually argued against more money to, to have a more, more egalitarian pay structure. Um, and I think that that has an energy that, that you know, will resonate in, 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 in others, I hope. And we as artists now can begin to see art for what it is. It's a gift to be able to share it with the world, and we... I believe, ought to offer it as a gift. And it takes people like yourself having the courage to say, I, I can release the excess and just have what I need, and I'm willing to share the, the space for others to come forward and cooperate and collaborate and also have what they need. Right. Yes, absolutely. It's really important to hear that it is, that it is taking what you need it's not saying, I want everyone to go live a life of poverty. I'm certainly not living a life of poverty. You mentioned I live in a mobile home park. It's a beautiful mobile home park, and it serves my needs in a very specific way. It's simple. It's out of the paradigm, but I love the ocean. It's close to the ocean. I love the mountains. It's close to the mountains, and it has community. So I'm still getting what I need, and our needs are different. You know, some who have larger lives will need more square feet. They'll need a, a, a larger home for whatever they use that for, for entertaining or uh, creating or family. Um, but it comes from just taking what you need. And that's a question we must continually ask ourselves. How much do I need as opposed to how much can I get? It's a very different life you'll lead if you say how much do I need versus how much can I get. And, you know, my insurance policy, people say, well, what if you don't put, up enough, put, up enough, put enough money away? Uh, you know, you could starve. First of all, I'm not a fan of this idea of retirement. Like, retirement means for me that I simply didn't follow my passion because you couldn't force me to retire right now. You know, I wouldn't retire at gunpoint. And I, I think I'm going to retire when I'm dead. Um, and that will even be a different energy. Um, so, uh, Anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm, I could talk about this forever, uh, 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 this, this idea of serving the authentic self. And All right. Well, I want to I thank you, uh, Tom, me. for being on 1111 Talk Radio. I think this is a wonderful book to be a guide for people to really step into some of these deep in conversations. After all, you look at your manual when you get a new car. You look at it when you get your new cell phone or iPad. Where do you look for the manual? When it comes to life, 
Well, you look at life, and you get a book like Life's Operating Manual to help steer the way. You can find out more at lifesoperatingmanual.com. My upcoming guest uh, next week is Steve Behrman, so talk about bringing a little bit of lightness to life. It's an amazing interview, so look forward to having you come to that. We are at a point now where we don't have to shed tears and scream to reach enlightenment. What if we just lighten up and we happen to float off into enlightenment that way? Also coming up will be Joseph Shilton Pierce, Sonny Dawn Johnston, and Pamela Atwater. I invite you to visit my website, simmering-sing.com, and definitely access my gift to humanity, which is 1111 Magazine, and all of the archives for 1111 Talk Radio. Until next time, I'm Simran Singh. Be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Talk Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens. Shift happens.